0: Welcome to another edition of Matt's House. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson. Uh, we are now episode nine, believe it or not. Not that that really matters to you all, but thanks for continuing to listen. But now, for a reason you're here. This past weekend, the sports has been big. Being the NFL draft took place in Nashville, Tennessee. I think they recently just started moving around the city because I think it used to always be in, what is that, Music City Radio Hall? But now they're moving it around to, like I just said, a different city. So this year I was in Nashville, Tennessee. So that was exciting. And also the NBA playoffs moved from the first round to the second round in many cases with teams being eliminated. I could talk about the draft for days and days, but let's go ahead and get to the key points so that we get to the NBA. Kyler Murray was pick number one overall to the Cardinals as predicted. And as you know, last year, Josh Rosen was the number 10 pick in the draft. And he, to the Arizona Cardinals. And so they were going to have an issue there with both players being there. And obviously Josh Rosen was not going to get a fair hand in the shake. Because if you just drafted Kyler Murray number one overall, you're not drafting him to sit behind your last year's number one overall pick. So they shipped Josh Rosen out to Miami. And he would join Clemson's Christian Wilkins, who was the Miami Dolphins first round pick. Read a very interesting story on Christian Wilkins by Rachel Batchman. I think that's how you pronounce her name. And it basically talked about uh, what Christian Wilkins did while he was at Clemson and his philosophy for saving money while in college. So let me give you a little bio on Christian Wilkins. Christian Wilkins is a a defensive tackle from Clemson, like 6'2", 6'3", about 315 pounds. Anyway, Duke got his uh, degree and bachelor's degree in two and a half years. While he was at Clemson, he was a substitute teacher in the upstate area for extra money. He only would wear team sponsored gear so that, therefore, he wouldn't be wasting money on like clothing and things of that nature. And so, obviously, you know, whenever he goes to like award ceremonies, Clemson rents some suits, and also for a Tiger walk, they they give you suits and stuff too, so he did not have to spend money on that. He stayed at the team facility like all day or when he wasn't in classes. So therefore at his apartment, he didn't have to spend any money. Cause you know, they give him like a, a stipend in order to take care of your like living expenses, like your apartment rent or whatnot. Uh, in order for him to be able to save money, he would be at the team facility, like I was saying all day. So he didn't have to spend any money on cable cause he wouldn't buy it. Cause obviously at the team facility, they have all that you need there. And also for water and electricity, it just go up to the facility. Because it is a state of a state of the art facility. If you've never been, you should take a tour up there. Uh, his apartment was not one of the nicer ones in Clemson, but instead it was one that only cost three hundred dollars a month uh, rent. So he did, and he didn't have a car, so he used to ride his bike or get rides from teammates. This is a really good idea, especially the bike, because not only was it like it was helping him physically ride the bike, this and for whatever it was worth, and also he wasn't having to spend as much spend any money in gas. He had no credit cards when he was in college. He had four, but he had an interesting system. It was four accounts that he would put his money in whenever he got his money from substitute teaching and a stipend or whatever the case may be. Uh, the first one would be his everyday spending. He said that his food was like obviously dude's 315 pounds. The food is like priority one. And then his second account was rent and big purchases like airplane tickets for like whenever he wanted to fly home because he, I know he went to boarding school in Massachusetts, but I'm not exactly 100% sure where his hometown is. His third account was uh, savings and investments, and his fourth was an emergency emergency fund. So obviously Christian is a cut above the rest, and after practicing this method of like spending and saving and uh, training his mind to manage his money, by the time he gets to the NFL, it's not really going to be much of a problem because he's already trained his mind this way for so long. He was in college for four years. He got his degree in two and a half, and then he stayed there to continue to play. Because you can do that with the eligibility. You have four years of eligibility. If you're redshirt, you have five. Christian also attempted uh, at the NFL draft. Whenever he got drafted, he decided to die. You know whenever you see two players like running at each other, and they're like, let's go up when they jump? Yeah, he tried to do that with the commissioner. And he was so serious about it. You know, he was excited. As a matter of fact, I thought it was nice to see a guy like in his most natural state, like, how he feels whenever he accomplishes his dreams, you know, a dream that he's been trying to working for like his whole entire life. So he, so he continues to jump with the uh, commissioner who was not expecting that. Then he hit the commissioner on the back a couple times while he was hugging him, and I'm pretty sure the commissioner got beat up pretty bad and was not expecting that. But the, apparently Roger Goodell enjoyed it because his now his profile picture on Twitter. And so I was just thinking, that, that's crazy to see, like, a guy that excited. Dude. Like, he wasn't really high. I mean, obviously he had his suit and stuff on. But it's like, no, this is what this is how I really feel versus, like, I'm going to stand and shake his hand like, you know, I've been here before. Another nugget about Christian was, like I was saying earlier, he went to an all-boys boarding school in high school. So when he got to Clemson, Dabble kind of already noticed that he was, like, a cut above maturity-wise than the other guys because that uh, that boarding school is very disciplined and I guess that kind of uh, helped him in his tenure at Clemson, being able to get a degree in such a short amount of time. He also won the National Football Foundation's Campbell Trophy, which is considered considered uh, the uh, academic Heisman and is given to the nation's best football scholar athlete. He was best friends, actually, with another one of the Clemson defensive linemen named Dexter Lawrence, who was also huge. I think Dexter might be like 330 pounds, but like 6'3". And Dexter Lawrence went 17th overall to the New York Giants. You know, a lot of times they say success, like, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Well, obviously, this is the case because you have two defensive linemen that came to Clemson, best friends, and they both go in the first round of the draft, very focused individuals. The other defensive lineman that were taken by from Clemson in the NFL draft was Austin Bryant. He was probably I don't want to say the worst, but probably like out of all of them, not uh, I really don't want to say the worst here, but out of the ones drafted, he was probably the one that was the least high, high, the least high, well, the least highest rated, and he was taken in the fourth round to the Detroit Lions. He to show you like how good this defensive line for Clemson was. Like I said, he was the the lowest rated. That's what I've been trying to say. He was the lowest rated, the lowest rated defensive lineman. And coming out of Clemson, that got drafted. And he had four sacks against Auburn, who has an SEC West defensive line. So he's a pretty solid guy. Also, Albert Huggins out of Orangeburg, South Carolina, signed an undrafted free agency contract to the Houston Texans. So he'll go out there with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. I said before, he didn't get drafted. So he doesn't qualify the lower rate as one of the lowest-rated defensive linemen to get drafted. He's, like, in his own category. But hopefully uh, he'll go out to Texas – put a great performance there's another clemson defensive lineman that plays for the texans uh, former uh, clemson defensive lineman that plays for the texans His name is dj reader so i'm sure reader will have some uh, piece of advice to hopefully get albert to the team cleveland Farrell was the last clemson defensive lineman to get drafted well that i'm naming but he was the highest draft picked. he was picked fourth overall to the raiders I don't know if you were watching the draft, but a lot of the fans were like, why? And even the media kind of got all over that, saying that that was like a wasted draft pick. They didn't need to get him. They could have gotten him later. But Cleveland froze kind of been doubted his whole entire tenure. Kind of coming out of high school, they didn't think he was going to be very good. Dabble didn't even think that he was going to let's put it like this. That one didn't think he was going to become a leader like he has become, but Cleveland's like all about like beating the expectations. He was came in kind of a, not as strong as a lot of the other highly talented defenses. Now he's a real strong guy. He's a little quick. He gets a lot of sacks. He's a really good defensive lineman. A lot of people think that he might not be, he wasn't worth that pick necessarily. But, you know, you just have to give guys some time and to see if they end up being worth it or whatever the case may be. Also, speaking of the Oakland Raiders, they must absolutely love college football players from the state of South Carolina. They drafted, like I said, Clemson, Cleveland, Farrell. They drafted Hunter Renfro, who was the former walk-on receiver. Nice for Hunter Renfro. As a side note, he has secured a deal with um, Nike. It's kind of crazy. This man started college as a walk-on. And at that time, Clemson had Deion Kane and uh, Ray Ray McLeod, who were all like five-star receivers. And Hunter Renfro is the only one to leave with, a, well, Deion Kane ended up picking up a Nike deal, but like I said, he was a walk-on. He has Nike deal, and Trayvon Mullen was also picked up by the in the second round by the Oakland Raiders. So that so that trio right there, and then from the University of South Carolina, Kayson Nixon, who's a defensive back, and Bryson Allen Williams, who is a linebacker. Also were picked up in free agency by the Oakland Raiders. So all these guys will head out to minicamp, and I'm, I'm sure they'll see each other and be like, wow, all of us are here, see who makes the roster. The Panthers drafted Will Greer, who is an outstanding quarterback <clears throat> from the University of West Virginia. Actually, I think it's West Virginia University. Either way, he was drafted from there. He's a really good quarterback. I was actually kind of surprised that he dropped down to the third round. But a lot of people are trying to figure out here, like, what does this mean for Cam? Because you don't usually get a high-round quarterback to, like, sit on the bench for an extended period of time, maybe one or two years. But Cam hasn't even entered his prime because, he by most player standards, age 30— like let's say receiver 30 is getting to be towards the end but by a quarterback you got top uh, quarterbacks like Tom Brady they play nowadays so they're 42 so the quarterback Cam's like yo I haven't even entered my prom you already get my backup so I'm sure Cam will come into right now he just he's a nursing a shoulder injury I don't even know if he he actually just has shoulder surgery I don't even know right now if he can throw but I'm sure once he gets back he'll be out to prove himself uh Dwayne Haskins the Ohio State quarterback who was drafted by the Redskins was passed up by the Giants a lot of people did not like the Giants went and got Daniel Jones but Daniel Jones coach head coach at Duke was okay try to follow him here Daniel Jones head coach at Duke also coached Eli Manning so the connection is definitely there so the Giants probably reached out to him like what do you think as he's compared to like Eli or even Peyton Manning and they think that he compares favorably. The guy's pretty fast too. I think he ran I think he ran a four-six. He's faster than Dwayne Haskins, but that's who the Giants decided to put um to draft for then the next guy quarterback. Once Eli's done, it's gonna be very interesting to see how if Dwayne Haskins pans out. Cause if Dwayne Haskins pans out They will have the Giants and the Redskins are in the same division, so they will have to see Dwayne Haskins twice a year. And so I hope that Daniel Jones is a lot better pass ends up being a better quarterback. Because otherwise, it'd be nothing worse than having to see the guy that you could have drafted but didn't twice a year. One thing I did some research, and Jones out of uh, uh, Jones out of his three years at Duke had fifty-two touchdown passes. Dwayne Haskins in one season had fifty touchdown passes. So a lot of people are kind of like, yo, are you you serious? Like, they decided to pass on Dwayne when they had the option to? Because obviously his upside seems to be larger. But we'll see what happens. You never know. Like I said, guys develop differently. San Francisco, the San Francisco 49ers drafted Nick Bosa, the number two overall pick. He has a brother in the NFL named Joey Bosa. But Nick Bosa had made some interesting comments. About like a really African American public figures like around like Beyonce and Colin Kaepernick, as a matter of fact, he called Colin Kaepernick a joke. I think this was pertaining to the whole it what he said in the press conference it wasn't about this, but this was around the time of all the kneeling, and so what ends up happening is one of the black guys uh that one of the black journalists asked him in the press they were like so. What did you mean by that? And you could tell Nick Bosa was extremely uncomfortable. Because it's like, first of all, you're talking to a black guy about somebody who was trying to like bring light to the uh, issue that affects black people. And Nick Bosa's a white guy. And so I could tell he was extremely uncomfortable, but I'm really glad the black guy the black journalist asked the question, because it's definitely something that needed to be addressed. So moving on to LSU slash the Cleveland Browns, Greedy Williams uh is a cornerback, the standout cornerback for LSU. A lot of people don't think he likes to tackle as much. The Browns say he just gets people to the ground. That's fine with them. But he was expected to be the first a first-round cornerback, and he ended up going to set in the second round to the 14th pick. And in the grand scheme of things, that actually isn't that bad. But I could tell, I mean, I'm sure he was a little bit disappointed. There's a big difference between first and second round money in the NFL. Okay, so when DeAndre Baker, who's a cornerback from Georgia, was taken, he probably like, okay, he plays in the SEC too. Like, I can understand that. But then after him, there was a cornerback from Washington, Temple, uh, Central Michigan, obviously Trayvon Mullen from Clemson. And a guy from Vanderbilt that were all taken before him that were defensive back. So I know he's coming to the league with a chip on his shoulder. And as a matter of fact, he said that we're, the Browns are definitely going to the Super Bowl next year. Shannon Sharp brought up a very good point. LSU has not even made it to the Super Bowl thus far. And he was with LSU for three years, I assume three years, because I think he left early. So it's like, that's kind of big things to put on. But at the same time, I like that he has that confidence in his team, that, they feel like, that he feels like they can get it done. So it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to accomplish this. He will join Pro Bowl cornerback Denzel Ward, who was a rookie last year, and it was actually impressively made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. And um, so those two will be in the defensive backs, uh, the cornerbacks. Uh, also, you know, other pe- other guys they have on those rosters. I'm just talking about the big names. And then Miles Garrett will be, uh, be rushing the passers. So I like that combination right there. I really wish that the Giants, I mean, that the Cleveland Browns would not have traded Jabril Peppers to the Giants because I don't know if you remember Jabril Peppers whenever he was at Michigan. He was the Heisman Trophy candidate. So if you would have had him, Miles, uh, him, What's his name? Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward. That would have been elite defensive backfield. But, you know, things work out for different reasons. And if they would have had Jabril Pepper, they wouldn't have Odell Beckham. So you just take what you can get. Greedy Williams would join Odell Beckham and Jarvis Langer Jarvis Landry, excuse me, as the former as the former LSU Tigers on this roster. I really like what the Browns are turning into. Uh somebody on FS1, I think it was undisputed, said that the Browns are trying to kind of turn into the team that they're going to tell you how good they are, and they're going to show you on the field. I like that persona coming around them, being that they've lost so many games for so many years, and as you know, Baker Mayfield kind of adds to that. So I am the Browns are definitely must-watch TV come this season. The Patriots surprised a lot of people they drafted in the first round, which the Patriots never do. Nikhil Harry, might have gotten that wrong, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. He's a 6'2", 228-pound receiver out of Arizona State. This comes after Rob Gronkowski retired, who was the tight end, and Dwayne Allen, they traded. I'm pretty sure they traded him to the Miami Dolphins. This is this is going to be very interesting because they already have Josh Gordon, who they did re-sign. You know, Josh Gordon sometimes battles, like, substance abuse, which is not substance abuse, but just, like, drug problems that has, has come from his past or whatnot. But potentially what could happen here is you could have Josh Gordon on one side, not kill Harry on the other side, and then you already have, what's the guy, the cornerback? I mean, not the receiver in the middle. I can't think of his name right now. But he was the Super Bowl. I didn't say he was a Super Bowl MVP. Anyway, so you have three really good receivers. If they can find themselves a really good tight end, the Patriots, they're always good. But now they could be like elite because you have bigger receivers for Tom Brady to throw the ball to staying in the afc hollywood brown which is a lot which is definitely oklahoma Sooners fan favorite player wide receiver was drafted by the ravens in the first round so he will join lamar jackson and mark ingram okay so i see in his future hollywood brown he hollywood brown is all south florida he's from the south florida area as a matter of fact um i am I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like him and Lamar Jackson already knew each other by the reaction Lamar Jackson gave once he figured out they were drafted. But so I'm envisioning a lot of jet sweeps uh, or even like read option jet sweeps. So you can send Lamar Jackson to like read the defense. uh, And if he wants to take off running, he goes one direction. And Hollywood Brown already becoming in motion because both of those guys have like world class, as some would say, Florida speed. Mississippi State, going back to the college ranks, Mississippi State has definitely, definitely impressed in this draft. They joined on, only them. Clemson, Alabama had three players taken in the first round. And Mississippi State wasn't really even very, I mean, they were competitive, but not really in the SEC West. But they had three, like I said, they had three players taken in the first round, including two defensive linemen and a safety. This is big for them. And the one thing that you have to think about when it comes to guys going in the first round, like three at a school, do you know how much of the easier it is for a college coach to go into a high school or at his university, like host recruits and be like, y'all, we had three guys taken in the first round compared to a lot. That's like what? one eleventh. Of the players taken, a little bit less 111th almost, because that'd be 33. That's besides the point. To be able to say we had three guys taken in the first round, that is a huge recruiting pitch and a very big advantage you have over a lot of other institutions who sometimes don't even have one. Clemson Clemson shocked me in this way, though. They had two standouts that were not taken at all in the draft, and a lot of people thought, like Mitch Hyatt, who is an offensive left tackle, as a matter of fact, who started every game at Clemson. And was an all-American. We all thought he was gonna go first, maybe second round. He went undrafted, but he was picked up by the Cowboys. So I'm sure he'll blossom out there. As a matter of fact, he played there in the Cotton Bowl last season. So he gets to, that was kind of like a glimpse of what he's gonna have. I mean, obviously he has to make the team. And then Trey Lamar, who's a six foot three, two hundred fifty pound linebacker, went undrafted as well. He signed with the Detroit Lions. But I was shocked to see those guys didn't get drafted. Those teams must know something that we don't know. Uh, That's the only way around that one because those two were standouts on a national championship team and they played on two national championships teams. Staying in the Palmetto State, Debo Samuel, you know, who's the Columbia folk hero, although he's not from Columbia, but you know, we adopt at USC, we adopt on everybody who comes to USC. He was drafted by the 49ers in the early second round. He'll be catching passes from Jimmy Guapolo, however you say his name, when training camp rolls around. This is big for USC. Uh, another receiver blossoming, uh, hopefully, will blossom in the NFL. One thing that I feel like, okay, I'd like take this whole like journalism hat off. One thing you have to think about, though, with players who don't get drafted, who get drafted late, it really, I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter. It's really all about what you do once you get to training camp. I'm going to give you some examples. Warren Moon was undrafted. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. So there's guys who were taking the first, second, third round. Or that He sat at home, waiting on his call, got picked up as an undrafted free agent. He ended up making it to the Hall of Fame. And by the way, the Hall of Fame's in Canton, Ohio, and also Shannon Sharp. You know, we all know Shannon Sharp for the Undisputed show, which I love. But he was drafted in the seventh round, and he almost got cut from his first training camp until he had a, a great showing on special teams. And he ended up with multiple Super Bowl rings, a Hall of Fame was All-Pro several times. So it just goes to show you it's not all about who gets drafted. As a matter of fact, it might work in your advantage to get drafted later or to go undrafted because you're coming a lot hungrier than you are if you're a first-round draft pick. And Although you're not guaranteed a spot on the team, you're pretty much guaranteed. It's just like an unwritten rule. So by all means, just get to the training camp. Contrary to what most believe, though, I think a lot of people think, oh, you signed your contract. Like, And I've hinted at this a couple times, but I just want to kind of go in depth and uh, explain a little bit more. Most people believe, oh, he made it to the NFL. He got picked up. Okay, he's on the team. No, you got invited to a training camp or a mini camp, but you can still be cut. Because the truth of the matter is 90 guys get invited to a training camp, which usually starts, I think it is late. It's either late July or early August, which, you know, are the hot, summer, hot months of the summer. But that's besides the point. 90 guys get invited, but only 53 make the roster. And you have to consider that about 47 guys from the last year's teams, besides maybe two or three that got traded, one or two that got cut, maybe somebody decided to retire, or returning. So you basically have to go in and take somebody else's job. And even sometimes, even though you perform really well at an NFL training camp, you just might not make the team. That's just part of the business. Okay, so that's all the football stuff I have for today. Uh, I could go on for days, but I had to kind of get the, the main points. Also, but now for the NBA, if you're wondering why the the Boston Celtics pay Kyrie $18 million a year, it's being put on display in this series right now when they're playing against the Bucks. But the Greek freak is still young. He's trying to, like, figure out how to win playoff games. Kyrie Irving's already won a championship. He's leading his team. They won game one decisively. You can just tell. I think they went on two 12-0 runs. They're just more smooth right now. And the Greek freak kind of was like a deer in headlights. He never was, like, very comfortable, I would believe, in that game. And Milwaukee could be in trouble here. They have got to win the second game because if they lose two games in Milwaukee, then they have to go to Boston. This series could potentially be four and out, a four and oh, a sweep. As Shannon Sharp said, get your broomsticks. And this series could be over in four games. So it's imperative that the uh, Milwaukee gets a win in game two. The Greek Freak is was kind of interesting. He's usually able to do what he wants, especially like when it comes to getting to the rim. But Al, Al Horford, I think I just say his name, Al Horford. I'm uh, not good at pronouncing. Has been contesting his dunks, and nothing's really been coming easy for a Giannis. And so I think they said that something along the lines of they're gonna give themselves 24 hours. Think about that last game because they got got beat pretty decisively, and they have to win the second game in Milwaukee. Now with this Houston and Golden State. Situation, I kind of, I absolutely hate like leaving the game and then you go on ESPN or whatever channel you watch your sports talk on, or hopefully listen here. That's besides the point. I absolutely hate whenever you leave the game and everybody's complaining about the refs and the players like the refs. And I understand the refs do have to call a fair game. But at the same time, it's like uh like there were also action that like their players were playing too. Like uh, we could've done more, we could have done better. That's like should be your mindset coming out of a game in which you believe that the refs maybe messed it up. It's like maybe the refs did have a part, but we should have played better. All that to say there was a there was a controversial call at the end of the Houston game, wherever James Harden shot a three, they felt like the player went under him and James Harden was looking for the foul. James James Harden got to the press conference and was kind of like, yo, we just want a fair game. All that to say the Houston lost the first game. Not and the Warriors took game one. I know the Warriors are super excited to get one under their belt. This series should be interesting. I don't remember last year it went down to like the haywire before Chris Paul ended up getting hurt, and that's how the Warriors ended up winning the game. This series is probably going to be one of the best series in the playoffs. I, If I had to guess, it's it almost most likely will go to game seven. It's really must-watch. Draymond Green got attacked. Chris Paul got ejected. I don't think people talk enough about when players get ejected at the end of the game when the team was in, still in the game. I feel like that should be definitely emphasized. It's like you have to keep your cool because we had a chance So you got that tech, or you got the ejection because now the other team gets extra free throws and the position. Now we're completely taking out the game. So what ends up happening is everybody's sitting there talking about oh well, the rest are calling a bad game. It's like that guy literally just took us completely out the game. That's happened to Chris Paul, and then after that, the game was out of reach. Finally, uh, talking about the Raptors, or what they call the Dinosaurs, they won game one of their series with the 76ers. Kawhi Leonard had 45 points and 11 rebounds. Those 45 points are career high for him. The 76ers, okay, this is a little interesting tidbit. The 76ers lose this series. It has been reported they will most likely fire Brett Brown, who's their head coach, but they feel as if, like, I don't know if you ever heard, but a lot, but I'm not going to say a lot of people because I know I say that a lot. But it is commonly, it was commonly heard that the 76ers were going through the process when they were getting all these players. They were getting Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they feel like Burt Brown has gotten them through the process, but that they need somebody else that will be able to take them to the championship, which, which is what Philadelphia really wants. And so if they do not win this series against Toronto, I feel like Toronto go going to win the series, and I'm going for them because I really like Kawhi. And, you know, Drake is also big. But that's besides the point. They're going to hire, if they don't win the series, they're going to hire Monty Williams. Uh, they're going to promote him. He's an assistant coach right now. Well, I guess they will offer him the job, and it's going to be his decision on whether he wants to stay in Philadelphia, which he probably would do just because he already knows the roster, versus he's already been offered the job as the Los Angeles Lakers head coach. So, like I said, I believe they will lose this series. I feel like the decision will come up to him. I was him. I would go to L.A. But because of all – but that's just because I like L.A. But because of all what's taking place and what's probably best for his career, he's probably going to stay in, as a 76er. But it will be interesting to see what happens. Also, one thing I did not know is that when LeBron – when you come to a place with LeBron, LeBron is like his own person there. Like his own camp, his own team decides like what's best for him. And then you have what's best for the organization. And sometimes if those two do not match up, that becomes a problem. So, Monty Williams, he probably better off staying with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You know, you kind of still have full con- – not saying you have control over the person, but you still have, like, full control of this organization. Meanwhile, you go to L.A., that's a whole different beast. And the media is, all, the media is on the 76ers, but the media is definitely all over L.A. Every single, As a matter of fact, in pretty much every podcast, I've talked about the Lakers a little bit. So that just goes to show you, and this is a small-town market. So, I, like I said, all that to say, I feel as if Monty Williams will stay as the 76ers and be their next head coach. Big time decisions ahead. I know it's nice for him to feel wanted because he probably worked himself up from the bottom as far as coaching and now he's going now he the balls in his court he gets to decide on whether which team he wants to go coach. But that is all I have for this episode of Matt Sporthouse. Thanks for listening. Any questions, comments or concerns hit me up on Twitter at Matt I'll be back next week for next week's episode and thanks for listening again.